Welcome to the Commercial Real Estate Show, America's choice for commercial real estate market intelligence, forecasts, and success strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull, the host. Thanks for being with us on one of the radio stations around the country, or maybe you're listening on iTunes or on YouTube. Thanks for being with us. Well, today we have an incredible show for you. We're going to talk about retail and retail real estate. So we're going to look at the market and what's been going on, where we stand uh, in the marketplace performance-wise, what we expect to f- uh, moving forward into 2017. We'll also talk about uh, investment market, about cap rates, about new supply. Uh, we'll also look at the impact of rising interest rates, what that might do to uh, retail investment, real estate prices and values. Please welcome my first guest. It's Victor Kalinog. He's the chief economist with Reese, and he's joining us on the phone today. Uh, Victor, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Michael. Well, we appreciate it. And let's talk about property level performance. Uh, what have you seen for rents so far in 2017? Uh, we're not 2017 yet, in 2016. What are the trends so far? So when we're taking a look at a variety of property types in the retail sector, you kind of see uh, some of them taking a couple of steps forward and one taking one step back. If you take a look at asking an effective rent growth for neighborhood and community shopping centers, you know, Michael, you've got about 4 billion square feet of these strip malls around primarily suburban locations around the U.S. Back when our large swaths of our population moved out to the suburbs in the 70s or 80s, these really sprung up, usually anchored by a grocery or pharmacy center, to service the primarily suburban uh, suburban population. And for those guys, which always used to be perceived as a stable property type, asking rents increased by 0.4% in the third quarter, and effective rents also increased by 0.4%. When you take a look at malls, on the other hand, the regional malls typically have outperformed these smaller shopping centers. They typically cater to wealthier consumers, especially the Class A malls. You've got vacancy rates here at 7.8% versus uh, vacancy rates of about 10%. For neighborhood and community center retail. And here, rents have grown by around 0.4% in the second quarter and another 0.4% in the third quarter. So whether you take a look at rents or vacancies, it does feel like for a lot of retail brick-and-mortar properties out there, it's, it's a pause before the storm where we're growing rents, vacancies are bouncing around at somewhat declined since their peaks in 2011 or so, but not a whole lot of health or robust movement from a fundamentals point of view. Well, let's put that third quarter rent increase number in perspective for the listeners and viewers. Victor, how does that compare to to last year in the first quarter? So take a look here. Over the last 12 months, asking and effectives grew by around 1.9 and 2%. Now, the, for the prior 12 months, it was 2.0 and 2.1%. So it's a whole lot of flatness. And I wanted to contrast this with what's going on in multifamily right now, which is kind of the complete opposite. In 2015, we had rent growth that were so high for multifamily on a year-over-year basis that we hadn't seen those kinds of rent growths in two th- since 1998 or 1999. In 2016, it's more of a rapid slowdown in the ability of apartment landlords to raise rent. So think about it, whether on a glass half full, glass half empty basis. Glass half full, we haven't seen a slowdown in retail rent growth relative to the prior 12 months or the prior quarter, nothing significant. But a glass half empty perspective, it has really hasn't been growing that robustly in the first place. 
Yeah. So it's pretty much kind of tepid growth, and I guess it's kind of running along with uh, GDP, right? It's very slow and steady, and it really it correlates with uh, an economy that's really growing anywhere from 2.0 to 2.1% over the last six or seven years. You're right. So, Victor, what do you expect moving forward into 2017 for performance of retail properties overall? So what's interesting is that that kind of uncertainty and hesitation about the business environment pending the upcoming November elections was really more from the business sector. When you take a look at consumers, when you take a look at household income, where we've seen the first reflected increase in household median income uh, on record in the last six or seven years, right? We're looking at relatively healthy, optimistic consumption patterns uh, on the consumer front. People, Americans are still out there buying stuff. The real question for brick-and-mortar retail is, from where are they obtaining these things? Will it be from online or mobile sources or from brick-and-mortar properties, which is what we're talking about here? And I think that's what's weighing on brick-and-mortar retail right now, that ever-present and increasing influence of online sales or e-commerce, which is really making its way into our lives. My suspicion is that for 2017 onwards, unless you've got a handful of star performer property types, like maybe lifestyle centers that cater more towards services that can't be disintermediated by the Internet. You've got those outliers. For the most part, when you talk about shopping centers and regional malls, I think they'll still be limping along uh, given the the pervasive developments that we see in e-commerce. So you've got Americans still buying stuff. Right, they're okay. They're not. They're not getting indebted either to buy all of these things. So I'm not worried about households. But from where are they buying it, and is it is it necessarily benefiting brick and mortar retail? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I was thinking about investing in a cigar bar kind of restaurant that sells sells cigars, and I thought, well, you know, could that be disrupted by the internet, or, or even is it? You know, are people really buying cigars locally because they want to smell them and know they're fresh, or are they buying them online? And I guess that's what a lot of retailers are asking themselves now when they're talking about future growth and and rents, right? Well, to your point, I think a lot of retailers are trying to blend a little bit of both, right? You still sell a physical product, but maybe you'll hold more events with personalities and experts coming in. I'm not sure what the cigar market is like, but maybe you host dinners or cocktails where there are these knowledgeable people. So basically anything that gets people in your store to build your brand and make sure that they walk out with products as opposed to enjoying your event while they're there, and then shopping for better deals online, right? So I think as a retailer, it's always a challenge to really figure out what I think the industry nowadays calls their omni-channel strategy. Really, where do we sell best, online or uh, via brick-and-mortar stores? You've got, again, some exceptions. You've got some retailers like Warby Parker or Bonobos. These are startups from a few years ago that only sold online. But now they realized that they could actually branch out, and I'm not saying in a large scale like Best Buy. You've got a handful of retail physical locations now, which are kind of helping their brand. And they, they need to work that out to figure out whether it's actually worth their investment, really putting up these pop-up stores in higher-end places like Brookfield Place in Manhattan, whether or not that's generating significant sales. I think it's going to be an ongoing story for retail properties, not just in the United States, but you know, a lot of these street-level retail in urban areas in the U.K. and across the world, you're just going to have to deal with this influence of the Internet and how people's buying habits are changing.
Right. And I agree. You have to get people in the store. There has to be some type of experience. So I guess if I invest in the cigar place, we'll just do the show, Victor. We'll have you smoking cigars while you do this show, okay? Exactly. <laughs> and then I'll, I might either be super optimistic or pessimistic. It's hard to tell with these economists how cigars will influence their outlook. <laughs> I'll put another twist on the show, right? Well, when you when you guys are talking to investors all over the world, all over the U.S., and they look at the different product types of, of commercial real estate, how do they feel about retail and the performance moving forward uh, with vacancy and occupancy and, and, the, and the influence of online sales? Are investors a little skittish about retail? Well, again, it's, it's a, a bit of a mixed tale because when you take a look at the overall transaction volume, we will see that at or around 2007, we had about $35.9 billion worth of these properties changing hands for retail, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we exceeded that number for the first time in 2015. Mm-hmm. So, you know, though fundamentals have been slow in coming back, you do see a lot of transactions still occurring in the retail space. Again, that's the total dollar volume. But if you take a look at the number of properties that actually transacted, and the under, uh, underlying it, it could be more expensive properties via portfolio sales too, right? You know, it's right around that cusp for 2015 with about 4,700 retail properties changing hands. Is right. It looks like almost exactly like 2007 in the last peak where 4,800 properties changed hands. So the average price per square foot is at 218 right now. It was at $200 in the last peak. So you're looking at uh, a fairly constant set of properties changing hands. It looks like investors are looking beyond multifamily. But again, I just wanted to compare it with multifamily because over there, the trends have just been relatively explosive as opposed to slow and steady. Great information from Victor Kalanog with Reese. Well, next we're going to talk to Victor about the investment market. We'll put a link to that video below. Stay with us. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're discussing retail and retail real estate. My guest is Victor Kalanog. He's chief economist with Reese. Victor, before the break, you said that uh, sales volume is high and uh, the pretty strong sales for 2015, but 2016 is slowing down a bit. Price is looking good from a price per square foot perspective. So what's that doing to cap rates? What is the trend there? It's pretty much like the fundamentals, Michael. I mean, it, it peaked at around 9.1, 9.5% in 2009. Once you smooth out some outliers and take a look at maybe the 12-month average, now we're down to around 7.6% cap rates. And we've been stuck at 7.5, since 2014. So, you know, despite the fact that interest rates are, are perceived to be rising at some point, if not soon, then certainly over the next three to five years as an investment horizon, you've still got cap rates right now trending at uh, relatively low levels. And I think that's what's interesting about just comparing cap rates and valuations versus fundamentals. For retail, I mean, I'm just looking at neighborhood and community shopping centers. 
it's only dropped by around 130 basis points since their previous peak. So fundamentals have been slow, but cap rates pretty much mirror everything else that's going on in either multifamily or office. It's still hugging the bottom, and I suspect the reason for it is the same as what's driving investors to the U.S. despite its 2% growth rate economy. Well, that's interesting. And when you talk about 7.6 cap rate there, you're talking about the grocery anchored and the retail strip centers. What, what about these malls, especially these Class A malls? So for Class A malls, depending on what we're taking a look at, you're seeing cap rates about 50 to 100 basis points lower. And that just means the valuations are higher for these superior malls. Uh, but it's a tale of two worlds, right? So I think in Simon's latest report, you've got their overall vacancies at 5% or lower. But when you take a look at our overall vacancies for malls, it's at 7.8%. So uh, great if you're investing in a Simon Mall, but you've got these older malls out there that might have lost an anchor tenant like Sears or JCPenney's or Macy's. And good luck trying to find a new anchor tenant to occupy that much space. You mentioned that you believe rents should increase enough overall to even with some increase in interest rates to keep cap rates fairly flat. So is that what you're predicting for maybe 17 and 18? Is retail uh, cap rates fairly flat? I would be, Michael, I would be surprised if retail cap rates spiked or increased significantly over the next 18 to 24 months. And that kind of flies in the face of uh, commonly held projections that if an interest rate environment suggests that things are going to get higher, you're also going to get higher cap rates. Uh, I'm not saying that over the long run, a higher interest rate environment doesn't suggest a higher cap rate environment. I am just saying that in the short run, even as interest rates begin to rise, I suspect that the residual effect on cap rates and the investment environment will probably be relatively positive and will keep cap rates low. Okay, uh, let me let me elaborate. When you take a look at spreads over treasuries, I mean, back in the day, I think during normal times, you've got anywhere from 150 to 250 basis point spread on cap rates for retail versus 10-year treasuries, right? That's your risk-free rate. Right now, we're trading at 350 to 400 bips over 10-year treasuries, and, and not because retail cap rates are necessarily very low. It's because your 10-year treasuries are bouncing around at 2% or lower, right? So uh, until that spread tightens, I suspect there will be little true upward pressure on cap rates. And I don't expect that spread to tighten very quickly. So over the next 18 months, I suspect cap rates will be probably be pretty flat, although conservative risk managers will probably start projecting higher cap rates if your exit period is anywhere from three to five years onwards. Yeah, well, that would certainly make sense. And you're talking about average cap rates, but do you think cap rates will be flat on a, on a B uh, secondary market uh, shopping center, which has a lot less buyer demand? Right. So there, I think uh, it, it's on both sides of the equation, both either on buyer demand and potential liquidity for exit, right? In other words, even if you found a buyer, what will that buyer think in terms of exit options? Right. And secondly, once you assess the overall trade environment of said B property, 
they're going to want to think about, well, okay, is this the only game in town for a trade area of 20 to 30 square miles? Then maybe you've got that little bit of a moat where I can pay a little bit of a premium for this property, even if my liquidity options upon exit aren't exactly that broad. That's the kind of idiosyncratic or property-by-property dilemma that makes talking about real estate so interesting, right? I mean, I think that's where you're trying to push me, where I'm like, great, these are overall averages at the national level, but what if you go into these B-malls? What if you go into these uh, smaller markets away from the coasts where it's not as liquid? And, And that's the response. The response is really it becomes more of a local game where... Uh, as a seller or the broker's representative of said seller, you're going to have to convince the buyer uh, that liquidity options upon exit are existent. And number two, you've got a moat around you that prevents this particular B property, even though it's not charging super high rents, from being eroded by things like online sales or brick-and-mortar competition. Right, and these investors have a target yield, and their cost of capital goes up. Uh, it's really going to adjust some values. And uh, like you said, if, if we have the rent increases, that may even offset it as well. What about new supply moving forward? What do you expect for new supply in retail, and how might that impact property performance and values for retail moving forward? So I am not worried at all about new supply coming online for retail. We've had a small increase in new supply in 2016 and 2015, but it's still minuscule compared to what the kind of stuff we were bringing online, uh, you know, as recently as the year 2000 to 2008, right? I mean, I guess in relative terms, we were banking on a whole lot of retail activity because of all of these homes we were building during the housing boom. As it turns out, a lot of these homes were being bought by flippers, and they weren't actually occupying them and therefore not benefiting said neighborhood center right in the middle of the new suburban location. So you've got this supply overhang from 2000 to 2008 that I think a lot of retail investors are still working through. But moving forward, I just don't see a whole lot of retail buildings in the pipeline in as much as I'm worried about multifamily and overbuilding in that sector. Over there, the discussion is always overheating, overbuilding. Where, where is the shoe going to drop? In retail, I do think that even for financing sources, you, you're, going to ha- you're going to be hard-pressed to find lenders who will take a bet on a new greenfield retail development without significant pre-lease commitment. So you, if you don't have your anchor tenant and a bunch of non-anchors lined up, good luck getting financing. And that's putting the brakes on any risk that might come from runaway supply growth. Right. That's a good point to, to, to end the segment here. I mean, if there's a limited new supply, uh, that should be at least part good news for performance moving forward and for uh, and property values, right? Yeah, I mean, as an economist, it sounds strange to be glass half full, but yes, limited (laughs) supply growth is a boon for retail. Well, you're being interviewed by an investment sales broker, so it's always half uh, glass full, right? That's right. It's the same way as developers, right? That's right. They will come. Victor, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Michael. Thanks for having me. Well, stay tuned. We'll have more on retail and retail real estate. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com.
Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Today we're talking retail and retail real estate. Please welcome my next guest. It's Mitch Rochelle and Andy Warren. They're both with PwC here in Studio One with us. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us. It's great having us. Well, retail certainly changing landscape. It seems to be changing very rapidly. You guys have a lot of clients in retail around the world. What do you see? Retail has become, as you mentioned, more diverse, more bifurcated. You've got the people that want the grocery anchored, so that's stable, that's there, but everything else is open game. And primarily the intersection between digital and bricks is really what we're seeing the most change in. The ability to walk into a place, be targeted specifically to this is what you want, this is what you should look for, here's an offer, to being able to walk in and uh, virtually see something through augmented reality and then buy it on the phone and it's at your house by the time you get home so yeah i've, I've noticed that when i was shopping myself this weekend for something i've got to a site and if i don't have a good enough view of it i don't want to buy it go to another site and there's just more information more views more images more scale i guess the better view so if i could kind of virtually look at it i'm just going to buy more right you know when you watch television, I don't know if you do or not, uh, I know you will, but not that well, but there's something called the two-screen experience, right? right? So you're watching it on that thing, and then you have your mobile device out, and they realize that people are multitasking and probably doing something, so they try to put something on that second screen so you stay committed to the show. I think retailing has become a two-screen experience also. So you're in the store potentially buying one of those things, a 42-inch flat screen, but you also have your mobile device out simultaneously and you're comparison shopping for it or getting information. And what's interesting is the site that you're going to may have nothing to do with the store that you're in. And what we're seeing is more and more of a convergence of that two-screen experience or that, that the analog experience of being physically in a store and the digital experience of going in comparison shopping. Uh, they do it... Um, proactively by targeting people based upon cookies and so forth in their search engines and tell you when opportunities come along. I've noticed retailers that send me spam about something and if I click it, two days later they say, you know, you still haven't bought it. Let's say there's a 25% off sale at a retailer and they say, you know, click this link but it's only good for two days. Three days later, they'll come to me and say, just for you, they're finding ways to use the digital experience to get yeah. you there. But that's doing for real estate, because this is the commercial real estate show and not the retail show, is it's really changed what that store needs to be about, yeah. right? Because the store needs to be an experience because that's what people are buying these days. Well, you know, I use cookies too. I bring them in so people that work here like me, you know. <laughs> so I'm on the cutting yeah, edge yeah, here. Too bad, yeah, that, too bad James, right. that camera can't pan yeah. out that way because there is a potpourri of food yeah. out there right now. Yeah. So what do you tell clients today that are considering investing in retail properties with all the changes going on? Yeah, so change is the operative word in that question. And you can't buy something that's inflexible. If the stick and brick thing that you're buying is by design completely inflexible, meaning you can't spread this wall that way, you can't merge these two stores that way, the, the way the parking lot's configured, um, that's not as gonna be as long-term uh, fortuitous as something that had flexibility because with the pace of change being as steep as it is, we're realizing that you need to have the ability to do a pop-up store, you need to, uh, the, the, for Halloween, you need space for, for how long? Maybe six weeks of Hall Halloween. Uh, so there's these Halloween pop-up stores all over the place, but you don't want that traffic 
away from you. So somehow you need to be able to accommodate the pop-up Halloween store in your shopping center or you're gonna lose the traffic. And I think Mitch had on a good point there. The being aware of the stores around you is more important than ever before because of that experience. Maybe you're something that doesn't want to have a Halloween store around you and you're gonna have that. You need to be aware of who else is in your center because if they bring down your experience, you're stuck. And I guess so, also what who else is in your your submarket or your intersection, yeah, right? right? If you're buying a shopping yeah. center, you know, are, are people coming to that agglomeration? Are they coming there anyway to that market area, right? right. Yeah. Uh, you so know, you're bullish on retail, or uh, I'm bullish on the component of retail that serves the community, right? Mm -hmm. So the community grocery anchored stuff seems to be doing great. Um, the power center is still the subsector that gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> and then the enclosed mall, I mean, that, that is, I mean, none of those trade because the people who own them don't want to trade them, but the valuations that they have on them have the, the lowest cap rates I've seen in anything, which seems a little crazy because it's retail, but the fact of the matter is they generate a ton of cash flow, a ton of cash flow. I think bullish on anything that can't be easily reproduced. Uh, infill retail, which yeah. can still is still meeting a need, kind yeah. of Mitch's point, which yeah. you know the enclosed malls are a little scary from the standpoint yeah. that that can yeah. be reproduced. Okay, like what also like urban retail too. Right. So heebie-jeebies. I didn't see that technical term in the Emerging Trends report you guys did. Well, I don't see Snoopy Dance in anything, but you use it on every show, Michael. All right. Yeah, maybe. Well, if uh, retail does well, I'll be doing the Snoopy Dance. There All right. right. Uh, stay tuned. We'll have more on retail and retail real estate. I'm Michael Bull. This is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Stay with us. Are you in commercial real estate brokerage? Check out Apto. Created by and for commercial real estate brokers, Apto is the leading web-based platform for managing relationships, properties, listings, deals, and back office. Visit apto.com slash CRE show. Commercial real estate owners defer thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of tax dollars through cost segregation. I recommend Ernst & Morris. Call 1-800-CALL-SEG or visit costseg.com. Welcome back. I'm Michael Bull, and this is the Commercial Real Estate Show. Today, we're talking retail and retail real estate. Please welcome my next guest, Stephanie Sigelski. She's VP of Public Relations with the International Council of Shopping Centers. You may also refer to it as ICSC. Stephanie, thanks for joining us on the phone today. Thank you for having me. Well, Stephanie, the first thing I'm curious about is, you know, where is consumer confidence right now with everything that's going on in the world? Um, strangely, or possibly not strangely, it's, we are two days after the election. Mm -hmm. um, consumer confidence is um, strong right now. Uh, you know, all of the forecasts to include ours right um, for the holiday season are predicting a 3 to 4% increase in spending over last year. Uh, people seem to want to go out and shop and um, spend their money, and we expect now that the election is over that they will do more of that now that they understand the direction of the country. Right. Whether they like the direction or not, at least they know something about what's going on, right? They have an answer to uh, who will be the next president. And that's not an uncommon trend. We've seen yeah. that before where people people curtail their spending leading up to the election and then um, resume it after the election once they have um, some idea of the direction 
the country will be added in the following year. Right. So if you're excited about the results, maybe you're celebrating by buying something. <laughs> and if you're sad about the results, maybe you're trying to pick yourself up and go shopping, right? And go shopping, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, so what are the what are the types of sales? Is it clothing? Uh, is it electronics? What should really do well this year? Well, I think that we'll see, as, as usual, um, as we roll into Black Friday, there will be a lot of electronics being sold. Mm-hmm. Um, because those are the those are the high um, sellers on that day. Those are the ones with the deepest discounts. Uh, one of the things that we're seeing is that there will be gift cards um, will be a big seller this year, and a lot of that is driven by the baby boomers who are buying those for their children and their grandchildren, um, so that they can then go shop and buy what they want. And as usual, uh, you know, apparel and toys are always big items in the holiday season. Right. And what about retailers that might not do so well this holiday season? You know, I think that um, what what we're really seeing is retailers who are doing well and are strong are the retailers that are really adapting to consumer preferences um, and integrating digital with the in-person. So they're the ones who are making <clears throat> It more experiential, mm-hmm. and they allow for customers to shop online and then buy and then pick up in store. Um, so it's a convenience factor, uh, and so those types of retailers we're seeing are doing very well um, because they've adapted along with the consumer. Right, and the mobile phone has really become a part of everyone's everyday life, isn't it? How are retailers dealing with that? You know they. Um, the the mobile phone is it's you know it's everywhere we go it's people use it um, and they use it not just to to make purchases they use it um, to review items to compare prices uh, so retailers are aware of that and they're staying on top of that um, and understanding their pricing strategy so that because the shopper the shopper is so well informed. Right, and and the reviews, I guess, are important too. I mean, just yesterday, I was looking for some tenants for a for a retail space I have, and I was looking through some of the comments, and when I saw several bad comments about a couple of these retailers, I'm not even inviting them to my center. Yeah, I mean, we live in a world of Yelp, and um, and people are very verbal. People are very quick to share their opinions um, online, and. That is something that retailers have to be aware of, and they have to adapt to that. Yeah. We're talking with Stephanie Sigelski. With, she's VP of Public Relations at ICSC, a big retail group. And uh, So how can retailers, Stephanie, get more customers this holiday season? What are some tips for them? Well, again, I think that it's, it's about making um, it an experiential uh, event for the shopper. Shoppers want to interact, they want to um, go with their families. So it's bigger than just the retailer, it's the entire center uh, making it an entertainment experience and that's through dining. You see even some of the you know, anchor department stores um, putting in cafes and restaurants because that draws people in. Uh, and people want to be out and about at the holiday season, and they don't want to just be shopping. They want to be doing other things as well. Right. Seems like especially millennials, right? They're looking for the experience. So, so Absolutely. <laughs> millennials especially. It's, it's kind of surprising because we think of them as a generation who is all digital, 
Um, and yet they really want the experience, and they're the ones right now really driving some of the tenant shifts in um, shopping malls and shopping centers uh, because they do want more than just to shop for clothes. Right, they do. So, Stephanie, who are some of the tenants that are in big uh, expansion modes right now? You know, we're seeing a lot of um, a lot of pop-up shops. So, Amazon is going to be doing a series of pop-up shops. Um, that's a big trend right now. Um, H and M and the the fast fashion is a big trend, um, and. That's just, again, a response to what the consumer is looking for. You know, Amazon has decided that they need to go brick and mortar. They need to go just beyond online, which is fantastic. Um, And so that's kind of what we're seeing is this, you know, easy to get to and easy to shop is what most people want and like. Right. That's that's excellent. Well, Stephanie, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate uh, you being on the show. Michael, thank you so much for having me. And if you'd like more information, uh, visit ICSC.org. There's great information, especially if you're a member. And if you're involved in retail uh, or retail real estate, you should be a member. So do check it out. And stay with us. After a short break, we'll have more on retail and retail real estate. And if you can, connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, on Twitter. Our uh, account at Twitter for the show is at CRE underscore show. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Would you like to shake hands with commercial real estate decision makers? Well, look for the tab Upcoming Conferences at the website InterfaceConferenceGroup.com. That's InterfaceConferenceGroup.com. Excelligent, the resource professionals like CCIMs, CBRE, JLL, Colliers, and Bull Realty use for market intelligence. Commercial Search is the site to market and find available properties to buy, sell, or lease all over the country. Visit CommercialSearch.com. Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Well, the show was invited recently to cover the National Association of Realtors Conference in Orlando. I have a treat for you. This is an interview from the conference floor. We have Cynthia Shelton with us. She's with LandQuest, and she sells retail properties, and she's based in Orlando. And uh, Cynthia, it seems like the retail sector for investors has really kind of gone through some turmoil, and you know, with bid-ask gap and and some properties going up really high in price, low cap rates, uh, and then some properties still struggling in some markets. So, what do you see here in a sample market like Orlando? Well, I actually, Michael, I track 30,000 square feet and up grocery anchored centers in Central Florida and can tell you this time over last year this time, there have been more sales at higher price per square foot at lower caps. So that whole trend to me is saying there's not enough inventory so people are gobbling up things because there's limited availability of product out in the market. Yeah, and I guess that also is a sign that people uh, are comfortable with retail, right? Uh, so are you getting foreign investors in, a, in the central Florida market there? A lot of foreign investors. Matter of fact, at the last session we just did in the commercial theater, there were two people came up to me with foreign capital and market that is already limited product 
is now going to have more cash coming in. I am exclusively representing some buyers who were raising $60 million and they realized when they got to $6 million recently, they haven't placed any of it out. And so now they're at a little bit of a dilemma. Do they bring this foreign capital, the additional monies in, or do they try to just focus on that $6 million and have that invested before they bring any more capital. So there's a lot of capital out in the market. Right. And what do you think and what do your clients think as you're talking to them uh, about upcoming interest rate increases and the impact on the retail investment market? Well, people like you and I were talking, they think, oh yeah, rates aren't going to go up. You've been telling me that for a long time. And we've been doing this long enough to know rates will change. The projections that we're hearing now are after the election in December, the feds will raise rates. Maybe not a lot, and then next year a little bit each time they meet, potentially. So I think the projections are it's got to go up. Now, when that happens, what's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen at that point in time is the investors who've owned the property that thought about selling it but are hanging on because they're not getting their price all of a sudden realize I need to sell now because the market could start going down more. Or the buyers who've been trying to buy at the seven, eight, nine cap on product that is five, six, seven caps, uh, they're gonna have to start realizing if I'm gonna do it in lock-in rates, as I mentioned, I just got a quote for 25-year AM, 10-year term, at a 4.02%, not bad. They can buy the five and six cap deals and still have that spread. I think there's going to be some change in this, and 41 years of doing this, I can tell you, it will change. It's just a matter of which direction. Yeah, that's right. And being down in this Florida market, it seems like the demographics are good for, for investing in Florida with all the baby boomers around that you know might want to get to the sunny weather in Florida. Is that some of what goes into some of the buyer demand that you're seeing down here? Absolutely, because I have investors from California, from Wisconsin, from New Jersey, they love Florida. And Florida's influx of a thousand, Central Florida, we have a thousand people a day moving into Central Florida. So if you start taking that and you say, how does the retail serve that? And how much retail can we stand? And what's going to happen? I think the baby boomers have the cash, so they're placing it not just in houses, but second homes. and retail real estate and offices and all kinds of products that are getting them a mediocre return maybe, but where do they put that money in an account? They're getting one and a half to two percent maybe, unless they're in the stocks. Great information there from Cynthia Shelton at the NAR conference. I'd like to thank Shara and Jacob and Jean, everybody at NAR for inviting the show to Orlando. We had a great time. It's great to see everyone. Well, we're going to have a great show next week. We're going to have Deloitte's Commercial Real Estate Industry Outlook. You don't want to miss that one. So until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for the Commercial Real Estate Show. The Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Ernst & Morris, the leader in cost segregation. Excelligent, building data everywhere. Apto, your entire brokerage in the cloud. And Get Valuate, online investment analysis. The best thank you? A referral to our sponsors. You can find them at CREshow.com.